Today's reading is taken from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 14. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Cha. If you can keep your Bibles open to Philippians uh, chapter 3, that would be great as we start. But let's pray that God will speak to us this morning. Lord, we thank you for your Son, Jesus, the living Word, and we thank you for these written words that point to your Son and what he has done for us. And we pray that these words will now become living in us, that it might shape us uh, to live like him. In Jesus' name, amen. How would you assess 2016 for you? It seems like half the internet has deemed it the worst year in history. Um, there are, these are some of the things that happened this past year. Think about all the things. Donald Trump, um, beating all odds, won the election to be the president of the U.S. In Hong Kong, two logical members were elected, but then disqualified. There were bombings in Brussels. Their extremists drove a truck into the city of Nice in France, killing 80, 60 people. 19-year-old um, in Normandy went into a service uh, and cut the throat of a priest. Zika virus scared happened. Brexit happened this past year. And it seemed like it was a bad year for celebrities. Many celebrities died. Carrie Fisher, David Bowie, Leonard Cohen, Gene Wilder, Anton Yelchin, Muhammad Ali, Prince, Alan Rickman died in 2016. Well, there were a few good things that happened this past year, too. There was the Olympics and all the heroics um, around there. Pokemon Go, that happened. That was fun for a while. Uh, Jonathan and Annie, uh, who are now in uh, their honeymoon, they got married. And Van de Castile family came and joined us. But how would you evaluate 2016 as you look back? It's easy for companies, isn't it? Because what they do is at the end of the year, they go profit and loss. They count the profit and go, well, this, is, this was a good year. Or um, they lo- look at the loss and go, this is a bad year. 
but it's more difficult for all of us. But I know that many of us had a difficult year. There are families here who had multiple members in the hospital, multiple surgeries. A couple of us went through cancer and chemo and radiation therapy. We have baby Micah still struggling to survive, and there have been miscarriages and troubles in marriage here as well. But year 62, when scholars believe Paul wrote this letter, letter to the Philippians, well, it wasn't a particularly good year for Paul either. He was writing this letter to the Philippians in, in a prison cell. But if you read this letter, by the tone of it, you, you wouldn't be able to tell that Paul is writing from a prison cell. He seems happy. You know, actually, in chapter 1, this is what he writes in verse 12 and 13 about his situation. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He seems to be glad that he's in prison. What he's saying is he's in prison, but actually Christ and the gospel advanced. And so I am content. I am happy. And when he gives advice, he dispenses words uncharacteristic of a man who's in prison. Chapter 2, verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And that is consistent throughout this letter. Paul is joyful. He is thankful despite the situation, despite the year that he's had. How is it that Paul can rejoice? Don't you want to be like him? Wouldn't that be useful in 2017? Who knows what will happen to us this year? What's the secret? Well, listen to these words in our reading, chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. But whatever were gains to me, now I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may, may gain Christ. He knows Christ. And knowing him is incomparable to anything else. When one has Christ, the normal computation of profit and loss, good and bad, does not apply anymore because of Christ. Nothing that happens, whether that's prison, illness, sickness, loss, even stoning, can take away Paul's joy. This is, he says, is because the righteousness of Christ has been given to him by faith. Before he was constantly striving to get things for himself. He didn't cheat, lie. He kept the Sabbath. He did all these good things, but he did it for himself. To set him apart, to gain that, um, uh, that acclaim, to, to, uh, his prev- privileges meant a great deal to him because it set him apart from other people. His works meant a great deal to him because it proved that he was a worthy person. In his eyes, in other people's eyes, and perhaps in God's eyes. But when Christ Jesus took hold of him and showed him that all these things were given free of charge, he found that he was righteous because of Christ. 
He was a worthy person because Jesus died for him. He became a son of God, not through his work, not through his striving, but because God had adopted him through his son, free of charge. He found that he was loved without having achieved anything. All that he counted as profit because they distracted him from receiving this free gift of love of Jesus Christ, because he knew that this stood in the way of receiving that gift, he says this was rubbish, positively stinking garbage that distracted from the glories of the gift of his son, God's son, Jesus. So the striving ceased. Sabbath rest came. A life of praise and thanksgiving begun. And he wanted all others to come to know Jesus, this, his righteousness, and this God who had been so generous to him. In 2016, for some, was a good year. For many people, it was a tough year. But here's what I want to remind you as we begin 2017 together. No matter how you rank this past year, past year, and no matter how you think 2017 will go, you have Jesus. You have his righteousness. You have God the Father with you because of him. You cannot forget this. You have something that is of surpassing worth, so you can consider everything rubbish. When Christ becomes everything, everything else loses their significance. Each loss stings less. You are righteous and you are loved and worthy because of Christ. You have a God, the Father, who is for you. And that's the most precious thing. Your parents, has your child ever cried over a dollar? You've given some money, and he was running around and with, with the clutch in his, in his hand, but he was uh, playing, and, and he let it go somewhere, and he can't remember where he left it. So he searches and searches, and he starts crying. He realizes that he's not going to get it back. So you ask, what's wrong? He says, he's lost his dollar. You console him and comfort him. A dollar is a big deal to a child, after all, and it was his. But then an hour passes by, and two hours passes by, and he's inconsolable. He won't stop crying. What would you say as a parent to him? You say, it's okay. You've lost a dollar, but I am here. I am your father. Everything that I have is yours. You are loved. You see, that's what it means to be a Christian. Everything that you can lose, everything that you have lost this past year is a dollar. And that's when you have, well, that, that's, uh, that, and that's, that's, that's what that is and when you have God the Father with you. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to know Christ. But being a Christian means being one with Jesus as well, living Christ's life in your life. And that theme of unity with Christ is introduced by the language of knowing God. Paul said in verse 8 that he knows Christ. That's surpassing knowledge, right? He knows Christ. But then in verse 10, he says he wants to know Christ again. 
It could mean that he wants more information about Jesus. Of course, married couple are always finding out new things about each other. Uh, yesterday, Mary and I were watching a movie, and uh, uh, she was massaging my head. Um, and at one point, she was going, wow, your head is really big. <laughs> <laughs> um, we find out new things about each other. But this knowing in verse 8 is something greater than this sort of knowing. It's not acquiring more information. I'm sorry, I think you're all distracted by my big head now. (laughs) But this knowing, I think what Paul has in mind is a Hebrew word to know. Uh, When Adam knew his wife, it meant that Adam and Eve became one. They became united. That's the kind of knowing that Paul is talking about in verse 8. We often talk about how we have Christ in our hearts, how we've invited Christ how the Holy Spirit has, uh, has been poured out in us. But then, we do not live in unity with Christ, do we? We belie that confession by doing our own thing, living our lives our own way still. We are not united with Christ. Is, the, is Jesus really the king of your heart? Is the Holy Spirit really in your heart? Are you united with Christ? You know, sometimes... Our New Year's resolutions reflect that because oftentimes it's selfish. It has nothing to do with Jesus and our unity with him, our life with him. We make resolutions to run, to lose weight, to eat healthier, or whatever it is. But it's all about me. It's all about our life. It's all about what I want to do this year. But Paul, having tasted Jesus, he wants to be united with him more. He wants to know him more. He wants Christ's life to be his life. He wants Jesus to take over his life. And if you read book of Philippians, letter to the Philippians, you'd be astonished how much he identifies with Jesus. Remember how he said that he was joyful because Christ was preached in prison, not because he was happy, not because he was fulfilled, but because Christ was preached. His life was about Jesus. He asked for prayers that Christ will be exalted, whether by life or by death, through him. He famously writes, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He lives his life one with Jesus because he knows Jesus. He's united with him. There's so little of himself, what he wants, what kind of car he wants to drive, how much money he wants to save in this new year, um, who he wants to marry, who, where he wants to go for vacation. There's so much of Christ in his life. He wants Christ to be exalted, whether by life or by death. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And he knew that actually living a life united with Christ won't be easy, won't be comfortable. After all, Jesus lived for others. Being united with him means living for others. Living for God, living for others. And that's why Paul says, to know him means to know, um, participate in Christ's suffering, becoming like him in his death. To know him, to share in his suffering, to participate in his death. Jesus gave up himself, his time, his energy, his glory, his privilege, even his life, so that others might have life. And that's why Paul's in prison too, because he gave up his privileges. 
because he was united with Christ, and his life was now Christ. And so he pours out his life so that others might hear the gospel and live and have life. What's in your New Year's resolution? But of course, that's not how things end or how things started even. Remember how Paul wrote in verse 10 that he wants to know the power of his resurrection as well. And he ends, verse 11, with this too. So somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. This isn't works righteousness. He made it clear that it's Christ's righteousness that has achieved his salvation. But knowing Jesus, being united with Christ, means living a life that is shaped like the cross. That is giving up of himself. That's the only way to live a Christian life. There's no other way to be united with him, to live our lives shaped like the cross. But if we live that life, we can also be sure that we will experience the power of his resurrection. We can experience the power that flowed through Christ. If not now, also in our death, God will raise him up again because we are united with Christ. Friends, what kind of a life do you want to live and what kind of a year do you want 2017 to be? Do you want to know Christ more? And then if you do, are you ready to live a cross-shaped life in 2017? What if every member of this church lived like this, living not for our own gains but for others? If we, if we counted it our joy to give our energy, to give our money for others, to be tired for others, to go the extra mile for others, what a year 2017 will be. What if we live like that and the world saw it? Wouldn't they want to know Christ? But it's a tall order, and sometimes it's intimidating to think how difficult the Christian life is supposed to be how we are to be like Christ. But it's comforting to know that no one is perfect. Paul isn't here either, and he knows it in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all of this, or I have arrived at my goal. He knows that he's not perfect, even though he once said he was faultless in regards to the law. But now that God has shown him grace, he has realized how far, far short of God's glory he's fallen and how much of God's grace has reached him. And that's why he calls us brothers and sisters in verse 13, a people who are on equal standing before God because we are all saved by grace and are growing in him. But then he says he presses on, verse 12, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has to- took hold of him. Jesus has saved him to be holy, to be righteous, to be joyful, to be loving, all these things. And he says he presses on to make those things, those things that Jesus has won for him, to subjecti- subjectively make it into his reality, to make it his own. He's resolved to become more like Christ day by day. Uh, I wonder if there's anybody here who's resolved to run this year. I'd love for us to renew our spiritual resolve to run the race of Christian life, Christian race, 
with this sort of seriousness and focus. We do it because living a selfless life, living a Christ-like life is difficult, and we should anticipate difficulty. That word to press on is an athletic word that implies strain and hardship. Who knows what 2017 will be like? What kind of hardship we will face? Will you press on? Will you persevere? When you don't want to serve anymore, but you want to be selfish. When you want to live your life for yourself, not for others. When you want to keep the fruit of your labor for yourself, not for others. Will you press on? And to press on, we need to focus Listen to how laser-focused Paul is in verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what's ahead. His eyes are on that one thing, one thing I do. He's focused on that goal. He concentrates all his energy in straining towards his prize. And he says he forgets what's behind. Of course, he's not talking about the grace of Christ, but setting aside whatever that hinders him from being able to focus on Christ, from that prize. And he says it again in verse 14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize. Well, what's the prize? What's the goal? Well, he doesn't mention it exactly here, but it's strewn throughout the Bible. The Bible often uh, describes it. It might be our Lord's commendation. Well done my good and faithful servant. Or the crown of righteousness, or the unfading crown of glory, or what no eye has seen nor heard, nor the heart of man conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. The biggest prize will be God himself. Will you be focused? Will you persevere? Roger Bannister was the first miler ever to break the four-minute mile mark, which is a feat that many thought it was, it was impossible. He did it in May 1954. A month later, in June 1954, uh, John Landry from Australia broke the mile, four-mile uh, minute mark as well. So when they met in August 7th in 1954, during the British Empire Games in Vancouver, Canada, it was called the Miracle Mile Race, featuring two of the fastest runners in history. And Bannister strategized that he would relax during the third lap and save everything for his last lap. But as they began the third lap, John Landry went all out, making a fairly substantial lead. And so immediately, Bannister had to adjust his strategy. So he went all out in the third uh, lap as well, gaining on an, uh, Landry. And that lead cut uh, it was in, uh, in half. And at the bell of the final lap, they were about even. And Landry then began to run even faster. And Bannister followed. And Bannister felt at that time that if Landry didn't slow down, that he would lose this race. But then this famous moment came when that moment, that moment that's replayed a thousand times in history, I mean, in film and print, that last, last stride before the home stretch, as the crowd ro roared, John Landry couldn't hear Roger Bannister's footfall. And so he wanted to find out. He looked back, breaking his concentration and his stride. And Bannister launched, launched his attack 
at that point, and he won that miracle mile race by five yards. Those who, those who look away from Christ, from what he has won for us, that end and the goal will not finish well. Verse 13, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. 66% of the people who make New Year's resolutions break it in one month. 80% people break it within three months. For us, this isn't a New Year's resolution. This is our life. And it's a race that we must win. We must be focused on. But if we think about what this race is, despite its difficulties, if we really thought about what it is to, to, to live the Christian life, we will know that this is an immense privilege, that all true Christians will come up with the knowledge, will conclude that everything that we have is rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord. So why don't we start our year reflecting on that? You have Christ. And then resolve to be united with him this year and this life, to be like him, to let Christ who lives in us be really our king, to let our life be one with Christ, to live his life, to live a cross-shaped life. And that will be hard, of course. But let's be focused. And let's press on, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead.